Okay. Amen. It's good to be with you guys here. Um, we come to the last message of the semester and to a crucial turn in the book of Exodus. And if you think about it, you can ask who, everything in the book of Exodus to this point, who was it for? Consider that question. Who was it for? Who was the Passover lamb for? Why was the Red Sea parted? Um, really, everything in the book of Exodus before this was for the Israelites. It, was, it benefited them, right? And really, for the first time, this message and all of next semester, we're looking at something that's for God. And he tells Moses... Uh, okay, let's look at the first verse on your sheet here. Yeah. Good. This is your copy. Let's see. Can you guys read that together? Does anyone have an extra? Okay, right here. Yeah, it's, and it's like he tells Moses, Moses, I've spent 80 years to prepare you. I had you be born and be raised in Pharaoh's house. You learned all the wisdom. I was with you in the wilderness when you were a shepherd. Um, I made you great in the sight of the Egyptians when I sent you back to take my people out of Egypt. I've been with you. I've done miracle after miracle through you. And... Moses is here in these verses on the top of a mountain, and the Lord is opening to Moses something that's been hidden in his heart. He's opening the desire of God's heart. It's been concealed. So the title of the message is The Revelation of the Desire of God's Heart. And what we want to see tonight is how Moses got to the top of the mountain and how he saw the desire of God's heart to have a sanctuary that he might dwell among the people. And this phrase, the desire of God's heart, is not in the New Testament. It's not in the Bible. But there are phrases that show the fact of that. So let's all read Ephesians 1, 5, and 9. Ready? Go. So our God has a good pleasure that's in Him. And according to that good pleasure, he makes a purpose. He makes a will. Yeah. I will get that. I want something. There's something driving me. And in Luke 6, it says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart. Mm. So this is the Lord. He's the good man. He has a good treasure in his heart. Mm. So we call this the desire of God's heart. Yeah. It's what God wants. Mm-hmm. We can't just expect to see this desire at the base of a mountain or among a common in a common situation though so Moses saw this vision he he saw God's heart unveiled at the top of the mountain and it was like the Lord told him I've done everything for you I have uh, he did so much he opened heaven and bread rained down for the people right they came to bitter waters he made the waters sweet for them and it's like he's telling Moses, Moses, I, 
I opened a rock and waters gushed out for you and for the people. Um, I've shown you who I am by, you came to this mountain, you've been at, we've been at the mountain of God the whole semester, and I've shown you that I'm a faithful covenanting God. I've shown you that you need the blood to enter into a covenant with me, and I'm giving you the blood like Neil shared. And I've showed you how to worship me like Tino gave us. And then I'll give you an angel, my angel, to bring you into, your, into a good land for your future that's what you're going to inherit. But here, we've come to Exodus 24, 25, and the last 16 chapters, they're all about what's on God's heart. And the tabernacle is a full picture of the church and a living in the church, and this is what's on God's heart. Back then, it was physical. So, Moses sees a, physical, a series of physical visions. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. It takes, it's a long, it takes a long time to see what's on God's heart. It's not simple. Um, so we want to see how Moses saw this. So we're going to start at the base of a mountain, the mountain, and we're going to, we're going to look at how we get up. Okay, so let's look at this next title, The Vision of God. Let's read these next uh, three verses together. Ready? Go. So, God's got all his people at the base of the mountain, and he says, Moses, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, come up and worship. But then, it's hard to find where they actually worshipped. What did they do? So, it's interesting. It connects worship with seeing the God of Israel, and with eating and drinking. Beholding God and eating and drinking is actually worship according to how God would like to be worshipped. It's taking in God's element. So this is, this is a real revelation. To see God is to worship God because it's to take God in. Okay? Now when it comes to the New Testament, we don't go up physical mountains, but we do need to have a, a certain change spiritually to get to a place where we can see God. Okay, so if you follow this little string of verses, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. To see God is to see light, and you need light to see. You can't see anything without light. Matthew 6, 22, if if therefore your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. So there's a kind of a benefit to having a single eye. And a single eye looks at only one thing. It's not looking at multiple, I don't have multiple goals. It's just having one goal. And the, and the benefit or the reward is we're full of light. We gain God. Then, you can kind of compare a single eye to a pure heart. So look at Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The people who had gone up to this, let's just call, this is the base. Let's just call this middle part the distance, worshiping at a distance, but still being up. 
They saw God. That was a real, that was a wonderful thing. And we want to be those that see God, right? And in our daily, we're, we're believers, that's why we're here. And in our daily life, we want to see God. Okay, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. And then, oh, well, okay, before I go on, so what does that mean to be pure in heart? Let me just give you two illustrations, okay? So the first one is your time with the Lord in the morning. You know, um, we, we practice to spend time with the Lord. You wake up, you spend a little time to come to the Word to pray, to just at least call on the Lord and say, Lord, another day, thank you. But it can be too easy for, it can be all too easy for us to associate the Lord with a feeling. You see what I mean? We have a good feeling a lot of times when we have time with the Lord in the morning. But we might think that the feeling is the Lord. But let me ask you, what are you seeking when you come to your time with the Lord in the morning? Are you seeking a feeling? Or are you just seeking the Lord? Because if you're pure, you say, it's okay, I don't, I don't have a feeling, it's okay. I'm still getting you. I'm still getting the Lord. Um, so this should help us. We just, I just mentioned this to help us. I know this helped me when I heard this kind of fellowship. Just to come to the Word, just to come to the Lord, make that your habit. Don't worry. You may have a feeling. You probably will, but you may not. But don't worry about it. Just seek the Lord. And then you'll see God. Amen. Okay, one other illustration. What about you're taking care of people? And I know all the full-timers are taking care of other younger believers. And a lot of the students, are, they've decided, I want to take care of other people. And that's excellent. Okay, um, in that area, a lot of times we're pursuing the Lord and so we start to take care of someone else. But then what happens is our pursuit of the Lord becomes based on how that person is doing, inadvertently. We, um, we, I, I know whenever I have young people that I'm taking care of, if they're doing well, it's easy for me to say I'm doing well, right? And don't get me wrong, we do get a lot of joy from the people we're taking care of whenever they're doing well. But unfortunately, sometimes this does happen where someone we're taking care of hears something negative or they just, they're not that interested. Uh, after, maybe they go away for the summer and then they're just not that interested right. next fall. Right. That does happen. And at that point, does our enjoyment of Christ take a nosedive? Do we no longer enjoy Christ? So do you see kind of the, what are you seeking is the real question. Are you seeking Christ? Or is it Christ plus something else? Because the Word tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I had this experience. I was taking care of a person for a couple of years as a student, and at a certain point, he just, it became clear he wasn't interested. And the brothers, I was, I was uh, disappointed to see him not coming as much to our things. And, and the brothers helped me to realize it's, I, I need to keep going. Do you see what I mean? I need to enjoy the Lord just based on the Lord Himself. So the question is, what are you basing your enjoyment of Christ on? Is it based on the Lord Himself or is it based on how someone else is doing? Okay, then 
like we mentioned, those are, so those are just two illustrations. Then, like we mentioned, when they beheld God, they ate and they drank. Isn't that wonderful? This is a very nice scene. This is, there's clear heaven above them. They're elevated. They're beholding God. And all they're doing is eating and drinking. They're taking in something. They're taking something in. In the New Testament, to see God is to take God in. So let's take a look at what happens when we behold God. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Ready? Go. So when we behold God, we're being transformed. What's going on is God's element is coming in that's discharging our old element and replacing that old element and we're being changed. That's a metabolic process called transformation. And it's the same thing that happens when you eat and you drink. Isn't that wonderful? And so it's from this vantage point or that you could say this experience that Moses was then called up higher. So can I just illustrate it with having some brothers go to the middle, and it's just a simple illustration. So let's just get eight brothers, and we're going to come up here. We got Justin, we got Timothy. Case, let's come up. CK, okay. So we're going to have seven of the brothers be. I should have called you out. Case, let's go. I need another. It might be good, that's fine. Really, the goal is just to see we're, we're elevated here. I, I, this is a very simple illustration. We're, we have come to see God. What we're doing here is we're beholding God and eating and drinking. Okay, then CK is going to be Moses. Okay. So then Jehovah says, Moses, come on up. You alone, be here. Be here with me. So he makes an arrangement. He says, Aaron's here. It's fine. I'm going to go up with Joshua. You guys are going to be okay. We're going to come back. He, he enters into a cloud, and they don't see him. He, and it looks like he's entered into fire to their eyes. Isn't that striking? So, it's from, okay, so how do we get from the bottom level, the base, to the middle? Let me ask you that. How can we see God? We need to purify our heart, right? And actually, we're not pure. I mean, I'm not pure. So, but let me just give you a prayer. You can just, regarding this point, just pray, Lord, purify my heart. It's simple. And the Lord will answer that, and it'll, maybe He'll take you through things. He'll purify your heart. Okay, so that's how you get to the second level. And through these levels, you can see there's a kind of a pathway that God wants us to take. Okay, so the people didn't actually see the vision directly. Moses was with the Lord and saw the vision. And there's kind of a New Testament equivalent. We, let's say we're the, we're a lot of... Um, Let's just say we're at the base. How do, we, how do we go up? We need to be pure in heart. And then how do we 
get it here? How do we get to the, to the top level? Okay, the people didn't see the vision directly. They had to receive it. And that's the basic point. You have to receive it from those who have seen. But it doesn't have to remain secondhand. The Lord doesn't intend that it remains secondhand to you, the visions. But you can just pray something like, Lord, I'd like to go up to see what's on your heart. So the first prayer is, Lord, purify my heart. Then, Lord, I'd like to see what's on your heart. Okay, so that's it. Thank you, brothers. So then there's kind of a New Testament um, uh, pattern, someone who went through this pathway, and that's Peter. So you consider Peter. He started out, when he first met the Lord, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Based at the base of the mountain, right? And at a certain point, Jesus is with the disciples and they go to, to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus says, Peter, who do men say that I am? He says, they say this, they say that. Peter, who do you say that I am? That I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah. This was like Peter beholding the God of Israel. Then, right away, Jesus takes him up. The next little interaction, Jesus says, Blessed are you. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and I will build my church. Which is almost like saying, make a sanctuary for me. Let me tell you, Peter, what's in my heart. The church. I don't want to dwell in a physical building. Today, the new... That today in the New Testament, God doesn't want to dwell in a physical building. But it's just like He told Moses, all these things were for you. You consider, the Lord came to, came to the earth and sorry, <clears throat> a lot of miracles, right? A lot of amazing things happened when He started His ministry. That was for them. You think about it. And then going to the cross, it's like, Peter, I'll go to the cross for you. Peter, I'll resurrect for you. But let me tell you what's in my heart. I will build my church, and I need you, Peter. And Peter got the vision. And later on, he said, I'm a preci- you're a precious, you're a stone. You're coming to Christ, the cornerstone. You're getting builded up. Isn't that good? Okay, so but let's take a look at what Moses was shown just the overview. We don't, we're not going to have any details except the materials tonight. We're going to need a lot of time all next semester, maybe even another semester to get into these points. But let's take a look at the next heading and let them make a sanctuary for me. Can we all read Exodus 25, 3-7? Go. these materials. There's 12 materials, I think, and it just looks like they're just random almost, it seems. Gold, the, the precious ones are mentioned first, 
Then there's things that come from plants, the fine linen, the strands, the oil, the spices, the acacia wood. There's things that come from animals. There's the goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins. And the Lord was saying, Moses, tell the people to take this for me. The, they were scattered. All these materials were scattered throughout the company, the people of Israel. And now whoever's heart makes them willing, offer these up. That's what's going on here. So what we want to see is that all these materials signify, they signify Christ in his different aspects of his person and his work. Okay, in John 1.14, it says the word, which is, which is Christ, became flesh and tabernacled among us. So he's called to the, the tabernacle. So he's the reality of the tabernacle, which is the sanctuary. So all the materials that compose the, the tabernacle also represent Christ in his different attributes and in his different virtues. Okay, like, for example, the gold. I'll just show you a couple of them, not all of them, but look at Job 22.25. Then the Almighty will be your gold nuggets and precious silver to you. It says the Lord will be our gold and our silver. That's Christ. What about, let's go to the wood. Look at Luke 23.31. Can you all read that? So he's about to be crucified, and he says, I'm a tree full of sap. They're about to do these things to me. I'm a tree. I'm the wood. Right? And he's the, um, he says he's the vine tree, and we know he's the tree of life. He's the, he's the wood here. It, so, it, you know, the wood, wood signifies Christ's humanity. We'll just say it. Wood signifies his humanity. It grew up. It grew up like a root out of dry ground. Then there's, um, well, let me go back to the gold. Sorry, the gold, gold, you know, is a metal. It's a mineral. It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't rust. It's almost incorruptible. Gold is very unique. It's very valuable. And gold signifies in the Bible consistently the divine nature or the divinity of God. So we have here Christ's divinity. We need to offer that up. Christ's humanity, offer that up. Okay, what about the, let's look, take a look at the ram skins dyed red. That's pretty vivid, isn't it? Okay, reminds you of blood a little bit, right? Let's, let's all read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Go. You were redeemed with the precious blood, a vessel of the lamb without blemish and without spot, the blood of Christ. You were redeemed, the blood of Christ, as of a lamb, which is very close to a ram. Isn't that good? So actually, if you group these materials into three categories, you have Christ who's the things of the minerals. You have Christ who's the things of the plants. And you have Christ who's the things of the animals. And Christ is actually represented here. There's a little, little insight, a little revelation here. And that is the animals, they all had to shed their blood to be included here. That signifies the aspect of Christ's redeeming life. Okay? Then the plants, you know, it says he's the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. That's Christ who's the one that when he dies, he doesn't remain there. He bears much fruit, I think it says. So he's the kind of a producing life in the, in the plant life. He's the multiplying, generating life. 
So the redeeming life is for Christ came that we may have life abundant. So it's for the generating life. But then the generating life is for the building life. The minerals signify the building life. Isn't that good? Now the fact that the, the minerals are mentioned first, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and they're also mentioned last, the onyx stones, and that the New Jerusalem, when you look at the last sign of the Bible, is built entirely with minerals, indicates that what's first on God's heart is His building. First, the building. That indicates that everything that Christ is doing and has done and will do is for His building. I really like this point. Everything He's doing is for His building. Why did He redeem us? For His building. Why do we get abundant life? For His building. God is full of intent and never could flow aimlessly. Amen. Okay. So then at this point, I want to just um, kind of give an example of a little story, really, of a house that I observed being built, kind of like this one. And that was Brother Ken Diller's and Joanne Diller's house. Um, and they've come to be with us tonight. And when I was in college, the Seasock students would go out to Elgin, where he owns a little ranch. And at that time, he was building his house. We would go out there a couple times a semester. And I, we'd, be, um, we'd be sitting in one part of the property under this pavilion having a meeting. And I'd look over, and I'd see piles of materials just in a, like a construction site. And I remember seeing steel, a bunch of just steel beams just in the, it was like in the mud. It was rainy and they were just lying there. And I remember seeing limestone blocks and I remember um, just thinking, okay, there's, there's a hole in the ground over there. It's, but I mean, there's, there's building materials, but there's just nothing really to impress. And it's just, and so then at a certain point, I came to the house when it was finished. The house was finished. And I remember we had, there was a wedding, that, and I was there for the wedding. And when I went into this one room, which they had designed with a lot of forethought and consideration to be used by a lot of people, um, I, I was very impressed at that point with the wisdom and the skill that they designed and built their house with. And um, I'll just say this, it may seem to you like you're just looking at piles of materials, just the ram skins, but when we come to next semester and you see the building, Absolutely. you're going to be impressed Amen. with the design of this house. Right. They had, um, the first thing I remember noticing was they had these like tiles lining the walls of this room, which was actually like a basement. And... Um, it was, well, the room was very well designed. It had a large, like almost like commercial kitchen space. It had, um, well, it looked out onto the ranch. And if you went out, there was a flat space. And Brother Ken told me he spent three years building the retaining walls for that space. So you could use it as the um, ceremony area. And the backdrop of the house, it just, it's a beautiful space. And we use it all the time. We've had a lot of weddings out there. So, um, Anyway, the, the ceramic, okay, so what I thought were just tiles, it turns out are these things that are called ceramic tiles, and Ken brought one for me. So take a look. This is, this looks like, okay, and this is kind of cool because 
this doesn't look like much now, but if you were to go to their house, you see these lining the walls, and you realize these are very useful and very valuable. Yeah. And it's almost like by, them, by themselves, yeah. let's say, for example, the gold, you know, the gold yeah. that they offered came mostly in the form of rings, earrings, pendant rings, bracelets, and they beautified the people, but, um, but for God's house, they had to be offered up, they had to be heaved up. And I'll tell you this, the amount of gold they offered, it was over 2,200 pounds. It was a lot of gold, and it was all in this form. So you may not think you have much, but together we build, we build a very valuable house. It's, it was about $50 million worth of gold. Anyway, so with, with Ken's house, um, they only make those blocks in two places, right? In Elgin and in Canton, Ohio, where Ken grew up. And he just told me tonight his dad built a house with these very, with these very stones. So he wanted to build a house with these, uh, with these tiles. Um, anyway, you know, <laughs> they told me that the architect didn't get it. He couldn't, like, what are you talking about building a house with a basement in Texas? He couldn't get it. They had to push the architect to draw what they wanted. And it, that's... That's really the case with, um, with this also. Let's take a look at the last verse, Exodus 25, 9. Ready, go. The fact was Jehovah designed everything in this house. And, I mean, even down to the furniture. In a sense, it's like everything. The interior design, the clothing, fashion design, everything. Even when they could go into certain rooms, who could go in, how they had to cook, everything that they offered. So, so with Ken, the architect couldn't get it, so he had to push him. And, and they eventually finally found a builder, a build, this one guy who called, they came he came out of retirement, and he had to work at his own pace to build these walls made out of that tile. But that stuff is twice as strong as, as concrete. And, you know, when they had those tornadoes a few weeks ago, they went to the basement. They felt safe there. <laughs> and, you know, you go to the house, and there's a little glory to Ken there. It's like, this is a nice house. Yeah. I mean, the, that, not just that one room. The whole house is very nice. It's... Yeah. Over 10,000 square feet of conditioned space. It's a huge house. And there's a little glory. You think about it, you know. The limestone, Kent, this is the other thing that was very cool, was that the limestone, this is a tiny piece. Ken told me he got pieces of limestone from a UT building. They were uh, tearing down, and they were going to build the biomedical engineering building. Uh, he was overseeing that project and the old student services building was being torn down. So according to their policy, he was allowed to cart off, was it 20 18-wheeler loads of limestone? And he repurposed it and brought it to Elgin and beca that became the walls and the, the uh, retaining walls for his house. Isn't that something? And it's the same with the sanctuary. All the material was, it was for another purpose and then it was taken out of Egypt and repurposed for the Lord's use. So, 
anyway, um, when you consider all the things that have to be decided by the designer, it's just staggering, the amount of thinking that has to be done. And God took care of everything. So we're going to be getting into that. It's not, we're not going to be able to get into it this week. But next semester, you come back, we'll get into all the furniture, all the details. And if you really consider it, it really involves a lot. It involves engineering. There's construction. How do things fit together? Like I said, there's fashion design. Do we have any pharmacy majors here? There's pharmacy there with the anointing oil. There's a lot of things that, that have to be considered in these coming chapters. But really, the burden tonight is that we would go up, purify our heart. We pray something like this. Lord, purify my heart. Then, um, Lord, show me what's on your heart. And really, everything in our Christian life initially is for us. You think about it. Forgiveness of our sins. Um, we get forgiven. We're happy. We need that. Not going to hell. We need that. That's for us. Right? Um, but eventually, just like Moses and just like Peter and just like John, you know, John in Revelation 1 saw something and he was told to write it down just like Moses. And we need to read Revelation 1. We need to go to those who've seen before us. And then those visions don't have to remain secondhand. We can pray, Lord, cause the desire of your heart to become the desire of my heart. Amen. And then the Lord will work out an answer to that prayer over a long period of time. And eventually you'll be able to say, I live for this. I live for this house. Okay, so I think that's good. So let's, let's break up into groups. And we're going to have a little time to get into the portion, and then we'll have some overflow.